Handy History Teaching Tips, blogs in a conversational style. Handy History Teaching Tips are conversational podcasts designed to help history teachers with tips, examples and ideas about history teaching. Sally Thorne, that's me, is a head of department and senior examiner. Helen Snelson was a head of department and now trains history teachers. Between us, we have more years classroom history teaching experience than we are going to admit here. Both of us regularly write resources and present at conferences. We are proudly history specific and practical in our approach. Our hope is that this podcast will become something of a problem page for history teachers. Think of Helen and I as your agony aunts. If you're wrestling with something particularly tricky and need some help, drop us an email at handyhistoryteachingtips at gmail.com or tweet us. I'm at Mrs Thorne and Helen is at Snelson H. And we will see what we can cook up between us. Hello, this episode is part of the series Doing History Better. And we're really um, delighted to have with us today a guest podcaster, Josh Pregary. Um, Thanks for guest podcasting with us, Josh. It's really great to have you here. Um, perhaps you could start by telling us a bit about yourself. No, thank you. The pleasure is all mine. So um, my name is Josh um, Pregary. Um, I'm a secondary school history teacher and deputy head of department. Um, I think this is my sixth or seventh year, seventh year teaching. Um, and um, and yes, yeah, so I teach at a school in um, inner city London, South London. Fantastic. Thank you. And the other thing we need to know, and I'm already stealing Sally's questions, so she'll get me later. <laughs> but, um, you know, that's what we do on these conversational podcasts. Is to, um, <laughs> it's actually quite helpful, I think, for people to hear about what was your experience like of, of history at school, because that's what we're going to be very much talking about is changing and doing better history. So thinking back, what was it like for you? I think, you know, the first thing to establish is my overall experience of history was good. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't have chosen to study at A level. I wouldn't have chosen to study it um, undergrad if I didn't enjoy my his- my um, experience of history. And I, I I think for me the 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 episode that comes to mind most vividly is you know the introduction of Henry VIII. He was such a uh, an infamous larger than life character. Um, and I just thought he was amazing. I, for me, I just couldn't get over the fact that he had six wives, the fact that he, he you know, he executed them or well, two of them. And I, I was just blown away um, by this, by this real life character, you know. So in terms of um, my experience, especially in primary school, the Tudors, um, Keys Day Street, it was a positive experience. I think the problem or the area of improvement for me was certainly around um kind of seeing where I fit in. So I think when you're young, you're, you're really, really impressionable and you're, you're trying your best to make sense of the world. Um, and when you're trying to make sense of the world, you know, you sometimes you kind of learn through osmosis. You learn not necessarily through what people say, but through what you um, see. And so for me, when looking at Henry VIII, even when looking at, you know, the First World War and Second World War, I'd always ask myself, you know, why is this a world war? All I'm, all I'm really hearing about is European countries and uh-huh. all I'm really seeing um, would be you know white men um so that's pre- predominantly what i what i saw right so there was there was always the question of in my kind of you know where do you fit in like how do you how do black people fit into this narrative when did black people you know start coming to britain and um and i think i want to say unfortunately because you know it's it's certainly a significant moment in history in world history it's not the only moment but it's definitely a significant moment in history but you know the transatlantic slave trade in year eight was where you know I first encountered um, 
you know, somebody looks like me. And it was, it was a difficult, it was a difficult moment because, I, you know, I don't think at home we'd necessarily had conversations about the transatlantic slave trade. So, I, you know, I, I remember coming across, you know, that, that the famous picture of Fredless, um, Frederick Douglass, um, you know, to, um, in his campaign against abolition, in the campaign for abolition, sorry, with the marks on his back. And then I saw, you know, um, Thomas Clarkson's um, dimensions of the slave ships. And it, it was it was painful because, you know, I, I've for for the for the majority of my life, I'd come across, you know, amazing individuals, really, really powerful people who changed the world. And, you know, I, I suddenly I was suddenly presented um, people like myself who, you know, didn't have agency, who, who didn't have a name. And it's it's not about for me, it's not about criticizing my teachers because, you know, you, you, you have to remember that a lot of. Um, the breakthroughs in in scholarship are really are fairly recent, but you know there was always there was always you know that that was painful and it, was, it kind of created a bit of a bittersweet relationship with me in history because I, I definitely loved the subject, but you know I, I didn't quite understand how I fit in and you know I studied um 16th century England at a level which I loved. I looked at six. I looked at the Reformation. I looked at uh, Martin Luther. So I, you know I I loved it and even up at up at uni you know I studied um cabinet cabinet and premiership and whatnot. Um, from 1945 till about 1997, which was really, really cool. So I, I did a number of really, really cool modules. But I think when I graduated at 21, I, I outside of the transatlantic slave trade and, you know, a little bit around US civil rights, I knew very, very little um, about black history. And I think that's, you know, you expressed that so powerfully because having taught in York for so long as well, I'm amazed that, you know, I taught in York as a teacher and sort of questioningly started our curriculum, as a lot of people do, with the Norman Conquest. Whereas, in fact, there were black people in York before the English, to paraphrase Peter Fryer, because we know that about 10% of Romans in York would have been black people, um, including mm -hmm. the empty Emperor Septimius Severus, who died here and is buried somewhere around here. Um, how often do we tell that story? Yeah, and I think, you know, a number of us are going, good God, it's like the scales have dropped from our eyes. And we're sort of going, how did we not do that? Why did we not teach a better story? So, yeah, we're going to get better from here. So we're going to talk about how we can. <laughs> yeah, this yeah. Is the age. yeah it's God. To, it's <laughs> to get better. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, I mean, you're picking up quite a lot of the, of the themes that you wrote in your fantastic blog for the education platform that was um picked up by sky news recently wasn't it which is uh, was really exciting um is you know what were your kind of key reasons for why i mean we've talked about representation a little bit but for the importance of teaching black history what you know how are you making your case for that i think for me i think there's a number of reasons why i think um the teaching of black history is important and i, I think it kind of links to this whole debate around decolonizing the curriculum and you know I think there are many different um, interpretations of what that means and for me decolonizing the curriculum isn't necessarily just about teaching black history it's about teaching history as accurately as possible which you know allows students to start to grapple those complexities start to to understand those nuances which allows them to 
make more informed judgments of the past. And I think one of the best examples I can I can find is looking at Winston Churchill. Right, there's this whole there's this whole um, debate going on about you know should should we remove his statue, should we keep his statue? Fine, I'm not really I don't want to get too drawn onto the whole debate about statues. But I remember you know um, two years ago I was teaching my A level class right, and we were looking part of the um, OCR A level looks at. Um, Churchill and Britain from 1930 to 1997 and what was interesting about that is when we were teaching um, and looking at Churchill in, 90, in the 1930s even back then it was very it was abundantly clear that you know this guy was a controversial figure in in life he wasn't popular amongst um, he he supported um, the royal marriage which a lot of people were against and it's it's about and it was really good for our students our students kind of Got to understand number one that this was somebody who was complex and flawed in many ways but also you know played a, a pivotal role um during the second world war and it's it's it by providing more information about um people it allows people to see it or understand you know it kind of takes us away from this hero and evil kind of or good or bad kind of narrative and it's more okay so his stance um regarding um you know um hitler and appeasement he was he was definitely i guess he was definitely right about that you know but he also had more questionable questionable views when for example looking at the british empire and white supremacy so i think linking it back to black history it allows um, the students to get a more fuller understanding of the story of this of this nation like you said when you look at um the african romans for example um the tudors um you know the tudors in tudor england and also those stories what does it tell us about um england's relationship with the world what does it tell us about the navigational technology what does it tell us mm. about the tensions that existed between religion you know i was with martin yesterday and he, he touched upon this and i can't quite remember her name but um a catholic lady who came over um, from Spain and it's really interesting because Mary Phyllis was accepted um, in inner city London she was she was able to be baptized and she was very much accepted and her race didn't seem to appear to be an issue whereas um, the Catholic this Catholic I need to find a name but she when she came over to the UK she wasn't she wasn't actually allowed in England I mean she wasn't allowed in inner city London she actually had to stay on the on the outside and once again this poses such interesting questions about um about, about people's ideas at the time yeah and about who the outsiders are and how that changes over time doesn't it it's, it's exactly yeah yeah wow this is really fascinating stuff no absolutely and what i'm, what I'm hearing as well is just the sheer sort of enthusiasm of of, of as us as teachers as well uncovering and gaining what for us is new knowledge and then and then that that bug that that we can we can pass on and and it hasn't just this year I know although this year we are we are more determined than ever but I know as we were preparing this we, were, we had a brief discussion about past efforts to improve the teaching of black history in schools before um, well before 10 years ago I suppose um, and I know you've got some thoughts on that as well Josh that you could share with us which would be great. Yeah definitely I think I think there's this there's this narrative going on that you know in the 1980s, nothing was happening. In the 1990s, you know, nothing was happening. And then, then you know, suddenly, as a result of um, the Black Lives Matter protests, you know, there's there's a there's a surge in in the delivery of black history. And you know that that's you know that's not true. It's it's it's, temp it's tempting to suggest that we've come out the the dark ages. However, 
you know, this couldn't be further from the case. It's actually a very complex story. And there were some really, really good and great ideas around the 1980s regarding race. And, you know, I think in, in some of, in some cases, they were um, more advanced than us. You know, you had um, a lot of it was done by, you know, development educational centres, local authorities, and in particular, the um, Inner London Educational Authority, the ILEA in particular, for example, sponsored work on around anti-racist teaching at the time. Um, Nigel Fowle and Chris Powers, they also published great books called Back Settlers. So there was a lot of, there was a lot happening in the 1980s. And it's, it's, this isn't me saying that, you know, everyone was, um, was on board with this. It's, it's, a, it's a very, very mixed picture. But what I can certainly say was things were happening um, in the 1980s. There did tend to be a great emphasis on on social class, but it does appear that there was a lot of, a lot of autonomy in the 1980s. And it, it seems that, you know, things um, started to change with the introduction of, you know, national curriculum. It's a greater requirement for teachers specific content. Um, and, in, you know, consequently, quite a lot of the good work that was produced um, in the 1980s was lost. Um, mm. And yeah. Yeah. And I think that's that's, you know, certainly um, I've been kind of picking up. I picked up a really good um, book about teaching, teaching black British history that was published in the early 1980s, which I'm looking around on my shelves for. But I know it's at school, so I'm going to be able to see it here. Um, I just you know, it's it's really important, I think, to recognise that we are building on stuff. We are standing on the shoulders of people that have tried to do this before. But it, it's that's trying fantastic. to maintain that momentum, isn't it? And make sure that this time it doesn't kind of get um kind of swept away um and instead it's, it's this importance of constant improvement and constantly kind of moving towards a more representative um way of teaching i think is really really important i think what's that's really um yeah absolutely fascinating and, and one thing that makes me really excited that's perhaps a little different this time is the amount of amazing scholarship we can draw on from mm. further back so my guess is i may be completely wrong but my guess is that probably quite a lot of that stuff in the 80s was focused on more modern periods of time but the the, the great scholarship that's being done by by um some of our colleagues in universities that we can now sort of take and draw upon and think wow how can i use this to enrich my curriculum and what i what i teach is is just brilliant and the the um i know i remember because i was at university in the back end of the 1980s because i'm that old but we sat around <laughs> talking about how could we possibly imagine that the written source would ever be used in the history in in history and you're thinking my god what you know there really was this this idea that if it wasn't written down in an then it, it can't possibly be privileged in a history classroom whereas now you know much more openness to, to oral history and to archaeology and to anthropology and to the to the crosslinks that uh, have been yeah spearheaded by our academic colleagues so I think that's that's something exciting that we can sort of this time building this name because yes. we're we're responsible for this chapter of building forwards um, we're going to be uh, really able to to draw on that but I know Josh you've also been involved in a in a project because uh, covering these poor people who are not going to be able to take advantage of these marvelous things we're all going to you know build forward better there are people who've who've missed out um i know sal's heard me talk about my own uh, brother-in-law who feels as though he you know completely missed out on seeing himself in in school history uh, and you've been involved in a project for reaching history trying to address some of that do you want to tell us a bit about that one as well yeah, yeah. So that, that, that's that's a really, really fun project. So it, um, it was it was called How We Got Here. And so so what I found, for example, right, is um, you know, I think I think the barber shop, 
um, is kind of the Afro-Caribbean's equivalent to the pub. You know, it's, yes, you go get a haircut, but you do so many more things in there. There's, you know, conversations about politics, religion. I think um, mm. the play, The Barbershop, really captures that, right? But so when I would go to the pub, barbershop, the moment I would mention, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a history teacher, the, the whole the whole show would fall silent, right? And they'd be so intrigued and so interested in different stories that I would have to say, all of that kind of stuff, right? But then... When I'd ask them and probe them a bit further about, okay, so would you study history at A-level? Would you study history at undergrad? They're not interested. And they're not interested because, well, they said they weren't interested because they couldn't see themselves in the narrative, right? And um, this was backed up. This is backed up by statistics. You, I think um, history, at least in 2015 anyway, was the third most unpopular subject for students of an African and Caribbean background to study. And that's a shame because what you've mentioned, when you talk about all the amazing work that's, you know, trickling down from scholarship, be it Miranda Kaufman, um, David Oloshogo, lots of these people aren't aware and they're not learning about this, but they're interested to know. They're interested now, they want to know about it, but they, a lot of them don't necessarily have the time to go back university to learn about all of these things so how we got here it was born and that was the, the project i did at region higher it was born from a number of things first it was you know a response to um the murder of um george floyd but also an opportunity to to create that link with the wider community because so much is happening within the history community but not so many people know about it so it was, it was a bit it was my opportunity to to speak to them and say you know these are some of the things that are being brought into the classroom even my um my sister and my nieces and nephews quite often they are quite um they feel quite upset because they're saying you know what's happening we don't know about you know what you're doing so how we got here was an opportunity for me to share that and what it really tried to do and i i, I didn't come up with a name but how we got here it it kind of it was a narrative of black history so we started with you know the discovery of cheddar man in 1903 at cheddar gorge and we tried we tried our best to take them right the way through to you know the 1990s so we, we looked at the the black presence in in britain and that was important because you know enoch powell one of the one of the key takeaways from enoch powell's blood speech was you know immigrants aren't british they are the descendants of immigrants right so when people could actually see that, you know, black people have been here for the best part of 2000 years, you know, right mm -hmm. the way to, um, you know, the fourth or fifth century with the Romans, they could kind of understand that Britishness wasn't inextricably linked to whiteness and they could start to belong. And then it was just about, you know, me telling them amazing stories about the contributions of of um, black people, the, the understanding that Britain is pretty much as far back as we could trace, always been um, an island of immigration and you've, you've had immigrant communities for various reasons and you know we, we, we then moved forward and looked at the transatlantic slave trade because that was very important for them to understand where ideas of race in terms of blackness and whiteness came from. There was certainly <laughs> you know um, racism towards Jews, there was certainly racism towards um, people who important for them to understand where that came from and kind of also have a better idea of the long-term um, consequences of the transatlantic slave trade in helping to develop uh, major industries in, in Britain, but also in contributing to the underdevelopment um, in Africa. And then finally, um, we were able to talk about the special relationship between the US and the United Kingdom, which when I actually studied this at uni, and it was when when we looked at it at uni, we, we kind of focused on the, the mutual um, cooperation around intelligence and military. 
in addition to you know a, a, a shared um, history and a shared a shared heritage, but there was also a a different side to it in terms of race, in terms of politics, in terms of um, you know that whole um, yes, you had the Jim Crow laws and segregations in the Deep South, but you know when um, immigrants came over to Britain, it was it was very difficult for them to get jobs. It's very difficult for them to get employment, and so that that connection between black people in Britain and and African Americans in 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 shared injustice kind of goes on to explain why um, you know the the black community in Britain felt so so hurt by the murder of George Floyd. And to be fair, you'd, mm. the murder of no one is acceptable. Um, but it, it was trying it was trying to allow them to make sense of it, you know, to understand that yes, it's definitely the the ethnicity played a part, but that connection runs a bit a bit deeper than that. Thank you. And for those of you that didn't catch that name, it's the How We Got Here series by and Reaching Higher. And if you do what I did, which is uh, Google that, then there's loads to get really involved in. And, and thanks so much, Josh, because I, mean, I just somehow completely missed that one because I you know, live under a stone in the north of England, obviously. So you know, <laughs> that is uh, you know, absolutely brilliant. Thank you. And I know both of you, um, we, well, we decided it wasn't last year, did we? Because time's doing that weird thing. Two years ago now, we're, we're involved in the uh, HA Fellowship on Transatlantic Slave trade and, and that was a really powerful experience for, for both of you so I'm looking forward to you both talking a bit about that one as well and about why it was so powerful for both of you. Yeah I, I think that was the first time we met Josh wasn't it was on the was on the ship and um, it just was I mean for me it was it was so interesting to be to come in to come to a topic that I thought I knew and be given so much more information about it and so many different angles to teach it and so much good scholarship so many um, kind of hints and, and angles like it just that was it, it was incredible it just took a, a subject that as I said that I thought I knew about and it made it just technicolor really something that I you know feel so much more confident in teaching um, and of course getting to meet with meet with meet so many people and that was you know it was great to work together wasn't it Josh? Yeah no definitely I think for me first and foremost is the connection of the minds isn't it because really we've all we all came there to learn more about it and I was able to learn from people like Sally there's various people in and sometimes it's like you said it's the the softer conversation that you, when you're just talking about it which really really resonate and I think for me too just like for you Sally it was the so many different approaches to teaching the transatlantic slave trade the the wealth of scholarship that that underpins it and it's not and it wasn't necessarily that there was a right or wrong way because I never got there was a right or wrong way from it but there are certain principles that you know I definitely took away that I've, I've tried my best to apply when teaching it mm. and you just feel so much more confident when you know you're you're sat in front of the classroom and you know students are asking certain questions about you know race about you know you know what what was what was what was what was it like in West Africa before the transatlantic slave trade you know they've got that there's a lot more confidence I have a lot more confidence to to deliver it and I, I enjoy it yes the transatlantic slave trade is always a difficult subject to approach but you feel at least I don't know about you Sally but I feel a bit better in that I know that I've given my students a context of what Africa looked like before the transatlantic yeah. slave trade so that you know I guess we kind of go on the journey we go on the journey together Yes. Yeah. I think that was the like placing it in context was so important. And just, um, you know, particularly living in Bristol, the idea of, um, you know, the, the kind of wider impact of transatlantic slavery as a 
um, a kind of financial institution you know that it that it's not just the it's not just the the ships it's not just the the slave traders it's the people that it's the ship builders it's the people that make goods to to sell over there you know that that like that, it's the insurance that the insurance stuff that katie was talking about just blew my mind like that so many different things um so many different kind of ripples from this one thing that i think is just for students is really important for them to understand because i think you know particularly with conversations around slavery there seem to be where people that people that feel very uncomfortable about those conversations quite often feel that they should be guilty like you're, you're making me feel guilty this isn't something I should feel guilty about because I you know this wasn't me it was it's my aunt's happened a really long time ago I'm like well, it's not even really about being guilty you know nobody's I'm not trying to make you feel that way what I'm trying to do is point out that it's everywhere <laughs> it's everywhere you can't you you have to acknowledge the fact that it, it ebbed into every part of our lives every well every part of the lives of people in Bristol say 200 years ago and to expect that to all, all all have been swept away is just it's just laughable isn't it and it's just it's not going to be so yeah, yeah. we're back it we're back into what we were talking about earlier aren't we with with consequences as well and i mean in this in the same way as i mean there's no way that you would ever dream of of saying that anybody born after 1945 who's german was in some way culpable for the holocaust of course nobody in modern britain today is culpable for this what was done in in the transatlantic slave trade area but the consequences of that and the impact of that are still swirling around us aren't they just incredible in the same way as they are in modern germany for the holocaust and and further afield of course as well mm. Yeah, exactly. I think, for example, the West India docks, which is, you know, modern day Canary Wharf, that was built primarily to to support the the process of the transatlantic slave trade. And as Sandy pointed out, the the way that the money flowed into it, like, you, yes, you, you can mention London, there was Liverpool, there was Bristol, but it's not just the money. I think one of the things that got me is it's really good when you look at individual stories, so the, the, the stories of the, of the Hibbert family and kind of, um, and Kate and um, Nick Japer are amazing in explaining this, but mm. kind of understanding th- their rise and, you know, their story isn't reflective of everybody's story. But it's, it's just that understanding that, you know, once again, as you said, Helen, there are there are consequences and not only consequences on Britain, there are consequences on Africa, too. There are consequences on America. And it's it's not to say that, OK, um, all the problems are existing in, in over in, in the, over in those parts of the world are you know, of, because of slavery, but understanding that they slavery contributed to the issues that exist there. Slavery has also contributed to um, some of the wealth that was, um, you know, um, gained in Britain. So, and like you said, and I, I think it goes back to why I teach Black History. It's um, it's about giving that um, that information so that there's a more accurate and nuanced understanding of the past and an appreciation of how um, it also influenced us today. Yeah. Wow, <laughs> this has been a really, really interesting chat. It's always um, so good to talk to you about this stuff as well, because you you just you you articulate things that I didn't even know I thought, but it's just <laughs> absolutely <laughs> nail it, which is really, really good. Um, oh, thank you. To, to finish up, I know that a lot of people are, and particularly people that are listening to this, I expect to thinking about how they can improve their own understanding of black history topics or how they can improve the diversity of their curriculum. Um, and just uh, to finish up, I wondered if you had a, your kind of best tip on where they can get started. How can they, they can get started on this work, something that they can do in the next week or so? What do you think? I, I think the first place I'll start is David Arnold Sugar was black and British, but the 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 version he made for um, children, 
it oh, is yeah. amazing. It it it, it's, it it breaks it down in such a simple form. And I think I finished reading it in about about two days, for example. If you're looking for scholarship, I would start there. And just the main thing is try not to kind of bolt it on the end of something, or you know, try and make it tokenistic. Try and weave it in. So for example, and and it's not always easy to do. So for example, if you're teaching about Romans, you, you'd consider the African Romans. If you're teaching about the Tudors, you might talk about you know. The African Tudors, for example, when you're looking at um, World War One. I remember when I was um, when I was teaching my year nine students about World War One, and I and I told them about um, El Hadji Grunchy, who was um, who's from the Gold Coast, which is what is today Ghana, and he fired the first shot for Britain. And just those kind of wow. stories kind of you know disrupt the psyche. So yeah, I'd start off with David Oroshoga's Black and British, and my main thing is try and weave the stories in as opposed to adding them on. Um, I, I don't know. Yeah, that's why I guess that's I great. Say. Yeah, brilliant. Fantastic. That is a great place. <laughs> Thanks very much. Thank you so much for giving us your time, Josh. Fantastic to have you as a guest podcaster. And um, Sally and I will be together at some point in the future with uh, with another guest. Um, but meanwhile, take care, everybody. <laughs> Thanks. Well, thank you. The pleasure is all mine. Thanks. <laughs>